Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com/now. Hey everyone, today we have a fun follow-up to last week's episode with Johnny Eccles from the band Love. This week, we'll hear Rick interview the last two living members of The Doors, guitarist Robbie Krieger and drummer John Densmore, about coming up in the LA rock scene alongside Love who The Doors idolized and then later eclipsed. The Doors formed in 1965 and burned white hot until the death of their larger-than-life lead singer Jim Morrison. They released six albums in only five years. And in that brief time as a band, The Doors quickly became one of the biggest acts of the 60s. Their anti-flower power appeal was accentuated by Jim Morrison's brooding lyrics and keyboardist Raymond Zurich's frenzied organ licks. On today's episode, Rick Rubin talks to Robbie Krieger and John Densmore about their tumultuous history with Jim Morrison, who John refers to as a kamikaze drunk. Both Robbie and John recall LSD-fueled stories from their early gigs with The Doors and the role Acapulco Gold played in Jim Morrison's songwriting process. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin with Doors guitarist Robbie Krieger and drummer John Densmore. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I thought it would be interesting to talk about the album Love Forever Changes because I love that album and it seems unusual. Yeah. It First of all, it doesn't sound like even Love's other records. The ones earlier were more rock. Yeah. And then Forever Changes was more acoustic but classical as well. Yeah, they had some good players on that record, oh. too. But uh, you could, uh, I mean, uh, that's when they were kind of started fighting among themselves, right? Yes. And, yeah, you could kind of tell that. 
It's interesting also that the Beatles were sort of not in a great place when they made the White Album with each other, mm. and it's one of the best. Mm. There's something about when there's friction in a band, something good <laughs> so seems You don't to- have to tell us about That's it. That's why we are so big, let me tell you. Oh, my God. I don't think of you guys as having friction. Uh, again, I don't know it anything. Was, was there- it was three against one the whole time. <laughs> it, what is Jim, what is he going to do tonight? Oh, my God. Uh, it's just craziness. Yeah. 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 Was he being provocative for the sake of being provocative, or he was just being himself? All of the above. Yeah, yeah that was part of it. He, he liked to, you know get people's goats <laughs> but you guys as well or no sure he would he would like yeah after a while like he knew, winding that, you he up. knew that it wouldn't work after a while with I us see. but yeah. but it didn't stop him from trying i remember when i met his i met his sister and she said you know my brother growing up was always pressing our buttons did he do that to you guys <laughs> Duh. <laughs> testing let's see what boundary where the boundaries are or whatever what would be an example of something that would happen that would uh, you would find uh, questionable? <laughs> Let's see. He didn't have a phone. He didn't have a car. So no, he, no, I had a car sometimes. Eventually, <laughs> but remember <laughs> we crash um, it. <laughs> we got an apartment, uh, had a place upstairs so he could be there so we could yeah, find next, it next door because yeah. he was on a rooftop in Venice and. and just have to drive down there to get him you know and he would just stay with different girlfriends every night so you never knew where he was but finally we got this place and there and there was a place for him right next door but he wasn't around there much (laughs) what's interesting also is that both of your bands essentially had lead poets as opposed to lead singers which is unusual yeah Uh uh-huh yeah i'm trying to recollect when I first saw Love, and I think it was at Beto Lido's, and did we go together? Yeah. Yeah. So what year was that, approximately? 65, 64. Had they already put out records at that time, or no? No. 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 We're, we were rehearsing, maybe? Yeah, uh, we were just starting. Barely starting. Maybe not even with The Doors yet. Maybe yeah. it was with uh, Psychedelic Rangers or something. Yeah. But we went out to this club, and it was cool because it was you didn't have to be 21 because we could never get in anywhere because we weren't 21. How old were you at the time? You remember about? Probably 18, 18. Or 17 or 18. So anyway, we walk in, and uh, they're playing, and I had never heard a loud band before. These were the loudest band I've ever heard. I mean, they had the big amps and shit. And uh, before that, I'd only been to folk music, you know, Bud and Travis, uh, <laughs> Josh White, uh, blues, you know, Muddy Waters stuff. And I had never heard anything like this. I mean, it was fucked, you know, it was cranking. And uh, that just blew me away, that, yeah, how loud it was. Yeah, exactly. Was it obvious when you saw them what their influences were? It was a culture shock because here's this black lead singer who... He's wearing granny glasses like <laughs> Roger McGuinn from The Birds, yeah. psychedelic. But at the time, you know, uh, afros and funk, you know, so uh, they're, they're electrified folk rock with a black lead singer singing this way out psychedelic reincarnation. It was mind blowing. Anyway, so, you know, there's this world we walked into and went, 
Wow. Oh, and the other we thing better was, get uh, hit. Johnny, Johnny Eccles had this double neck guitar, which I had never seen one of those before. Yeah. That was incredible, too. Well, you know, okay, so we're playing the London Fog a few doors down from the whiskey, this dump, and love is at the whiskey. And during the break, I go down there and stand outside and, and just drool over being in that band. And I'm thinking... I'm better than that drummer. <laughs> and he's a sweet guy. Yeah. But, Snoopy? Um, Snoopy? Yeah, Snoopy. You know, and actually, eventually on Forever Changes, uh, they had studio I think players. just for one or two songs. Yeah. Is at least Hal Blaine. There's one, Hal Blaine there's one version of the story where I think Hal Blaine played on yeah. just two songs. Yeah. yeah. And then the band kind of decided we better and get the, serious, otherwise we're not going to get to play on the record. <laughs> I, again, I don't know that. That's the lore, so that's, we don't that's, know that's what really happened. Cor- that's correct. Sounds right. It's, yeah. Um, and Carol Kay played bass on on a couple too. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, Dennis Wilson. He didn't mind Hal playing on the stuff. He was no, cool with it. Of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was thinking, I'm as good as these studio guys. Why am I not in love? Yeah. <laughs> and then. Arthur, you know, told the head of Electra, Jack Holzman, to see us, which was such a gracious thing to do. No, I know. Was it Arthur or Ronnie? Because Ronnie Heron always says it was her. Well, they, she managed him. So, and then we skyrocketed past the band. Sorry, guys, but that was so. <laughs> I thought that's an they were our idols. Yeah, it's 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 the reason I wanted to talk to you guys is because most people know your band, and many people don't know them. Yeah. And I thought it would be interesting for you to talk about it. It just gives it gives people an understanding of what you guys saw and the fact that you traveled the world and spread the message of the doors everywhere, whereas love didn't really do that for love. I don't understand the details, but I understand that Arthur didn't want to really leave Los Angeles very much. I'll give you some details. He <laughs> chain-smoked dope. And Forever Changes was just huge in England. It was like Sergeant Pepper time. And he would not get on a plane well, and they go did across go over the pond. There. They did go over there once, I think. Did they? I think well, later. I think a, may, like, yeah. way oh, later. later? They, I think yeah. when, maybe even when the band broke, may have broken up by then. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. He might have been doing the hard stuff too by that time uh, and was afraid bummer. to go on the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, his reluctance didn't help at all. When did you first meet those guys? It's probably, uh, I mean, I, I think I met Brian earlier, but mainly it was at the Whiskey when we finally got the job at the Whiskey. and they House used, band. Yeah, they used to hang And they out were the there. headline. And every other group you've ever heard of. So how did that work? I, w- what does the house band mean and what does the headliner mean? So we don't have that anymore. Uh, we, were, we would start off the night, you know, 8 o'clock when the place was half full. So you played there every night. Or six nights a week. Six nights yeah. a week. Yeah, we had to join the union. <laughs> Remember? I think it was nine. Not, we started at nine, played the first set, then the headliner played, then we played again, then they closed. So it was like being a, an opening. You'd be the opening act, but you'd be the opening act for everybody all the time. Yeah, for, for about yeah. a year. That's yeah. how for, it was. Yeah. Uh, you d- just name them. Captain Beefheart, The Birds... Van Morrison, uh, Frank Zappa, yeah, just on and, on and on. But the first one we did was them, Van Morrison's band when he first had Gloria out. Yeah, and uh, they, we got to be friends with them. And last night we got to play Gloria with them on stage, all of us. Great. Yeah, yeah. 
We really got fun. some uh, pictures of that. And that's when I thought his voice was Ooh. the best ever. Um, you know, just, I mean, Gloria, come yeah. on, wow. And then, you know, when he came over and played the whiskey, we got to know him, and, and he was so shy, man. He was oh. like, yeah, worse than Jim, you know. And then one night at a party, he came, and he was doing some of his new stuff, and he did a brown-eyed girl, remember? Just him and a guitar. I went, wow. He did um, snippets of Astral Weeks, too. I was thinking, he's so shy, he can't even talk. But then he grabs a guitar, and wow. I would imagine by playing every night, the, the residency probably made you guys really good. Like, when oh, you yeah. play together... Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just get better. Yeah. No, I was there in, in New York. We did the same thing at a place called On Dean's Club near yeah. 59th Street Bridge. Every night from 9 till 2 and yeah. Andy Warhol and all those giant people came no, in. No, it was later there. Remember, we started at 11 and we go till 5. Whatever it wow. was. It's like just, five sets a night. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, get good. The, the thing yeah. about practice, it really does make you good. <laughs> well, that's the thing about today. Groups, they're lucky to get a gig on a weekend. Yes. You know, how can you get good like that? And it's also different practicing in front of people versus playing in a room. Oh, yeah. It's a whole different thing in front of people. Sure is, yeah. Well, then there's electronics. Jim said a long time ago, Maybe in the future, music will be just made by one guy with a bunch of machines. Did he say that? Yep. Oh, yeah. Incredible. There it is. Yeah. And then Stevie Wonder came out with Talking Book a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah. And he played the drums on that as well as other shit. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, were you playing your own material or were you playing covers? Both. In the London Fog, we, we learned... Wooly Bully and Gloria and crap to get by, and we'd sneak in our own stuff. And at the whiskey, uh, I'd say, remember the first set when nobody was there, we'd just do, what do we call it, Latin bullshit number two, <laughs> and we'd just jam on some Latin stuff. Yeah. And then as people started coming in, we'd lay on them. Unfortunately, uh, uh, the times had changed, and you didn't have to do rock hits, and you could do your own stuff. And then we'd smack them with the end. Did you end with the end every night? Yeah, pretty much. Just we'd, or Light My Fire would end. We'd the end first with Light show. My Fire. Everybody would be dancing. And then the encore would be the end. And people would file out quietly. <laughs> no applause. <laughs> Holy shit. <what> was... <laughs> they were bludgeoned. <laughs> so great. So great. But, you know, I want to jump for a sec. I'm thinking of the parallel between Arthur and Jim. I have this theory that a, a great song is a wedding between the way the lyrics fit with the melody. And damn, those two guys not only had these incredible words, but they're, they're stitched to gorgeous melodies. Yes. You know, Arthur and Jim. And, and Jim couldn't play a chord on yes. any instrument, but had, he said he thought of melodies to remember the words. Oh, my God. And, you know, Roadhouse Blues, that's not a difficult melody, but now I'm going to prove why I'm the drummer and not the singer. <laughs> Before you slip into unconsciousness, I la that's some hard chord changes. That's Absolutely. not, you know, it's like jazzy, and he had it in his head. Yeah, Gifted. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and, and he just, uh, you know, it's not like he sat down at the piano and, and picked out the notes. He actually would do a little <laughs> Acapulco gold, and he said he heard a concert in his head. Wow. All he had to do was remember it. Wow. And would those would those melodies always come after hearing the music, or might he sing you a melody and then you'd figure out what the song was? Well, in those early days, it was, you know, he would have the, the melody, melody in his head. And, and, and this is before I was even in the band. He, mm-hmm. Ray would help him, you know, pick out the, uh, the yeah, chords. Yeah, Moonlight Drive kind of was etched out before. Yeah, uh, even Hello, I Love You was kind of like but that. But when Robbie came along, the, the, the band was formed. And then Jim would just sing a cappella, and we'd, wait, wait, hold it, F sharp, okay. <laughs> Go on. And I mean, even in the songs that I wrote, he he would often change the melody. He he couldn't, you know. I I would say, okay, sing it like this, you know, yeah. and, and he couldn't do it. You know, yeah. he wasn't a musician, so yeah. he would do something a little different, and it was usually better than yeah. what I had thought of. He just naturally had a sense of melody. Yeah, yeah. Like on "Light My Fire," you know, my my first melody was more like. Uh, you know that it would be untrue. But he, you know, he just simplified it a little bit, and it actually was better. Amazing. And you know, in the very beginning, he didn't have that deep baritone. He was so shy, wouldn't face the audience. But eventually, wow! And you think about other singers um, who blew their chords and had high operations and stuff, and Jim could s- scream from the bowels like he was ripping his throat out yeah, and but he, he only, never had he trouble. only did it for five years <laughs> if he had yeah, true, continued he would, i'm sure he would have blown his well, voice he up. never did while we were with him no never never, never. he never lost Amazing. his voice i've had so many singers that i've played with over the years who you know couldn't make it through a whole show yeah tough especially door songs the keys they're in they're meant for jim's his octave range was incredible. It's an interesting thing about there. There are certain bands like the Beatles. A lot of people cover Beatles songs. Not a lot of people cover Doors songs so much. But I think it has to do with the nature of the band is so unique that the sound of it is as important as the song. It's like the whole thing is one. And if you take you guys out of it. The song doesn't have the same life. Yeah, if you go see these Doors cover bands, I've never done never that. Done that. <laughs> no, yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's you know. it's it's intimidating uh, filling Jim's leather pants. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, okay. So I did L.A. Woman with the L.A. Philharmonic and Chris Martin from Coldplay. Yes, and he was he said to me, "Oh man, I how can I." Phil Jim's vocal cords, and I said, "Don't, yeah, don't Just try. Do your be you, know, you. or whatever." Yeah, isn't that amazing that he, you know, no vocal coaching, nothing. Never sung before us. Never wrote a song before us. Yeah, yeah I mean, he had the most incredible vo- vocal range, and and uh, he he was always on pitch. No, yeah, never had to. We never a said you're sharp or flat. Yeah. Do you know what singers he liked? Like who would, would you say he was inspired yeah, by? He liked Elvis. He liked Sinatra. That um, makes sense though. Like he sings more like Sinatra than most rock singers. You know, he he really sang in that the crooner, yeah, yeah the crooner exactly. style, yeah. And mm. 
you know, like Willie Nelson has it too. Yeah. There's a sense of phrasing where yes. you sense the singer is so relaxed and it's yes. effortless. And it is. And w- Willie's obsessed with Frank as well. Well, sure. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And yeah, it, it's so identifiable. You, the, you hear oh, yeah. two bars yeah. of Willie or Merle or Jim and you go, that's them. Yeah, it's nobody yeah. else. So unique. Now, what was Arthur's influences? Yeah, that's a good you question. Know? Uh-huh. Any ideas? I don't know. Well, he must have liked the birds because of the well, glasses yeah. thing. I wish Arthur was still here. Yeah. And Brian. And yeah. Jim. Yeah. Do, you, do you know anything about what their relationship was like? Uh, it was. It got more strained yeah, as, as time went on, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, a songwriter competition kind yeah. of thing. Uh, Brian had the big hit. But Arthur had all this gorgeous, uh, deep stuff, and I think there was some jealousy. Uh, they were sure a unique uh, group. I don't, how the hell did they get together? I wonder. <laughs> God knows. And they call themselves Love. It's incredible! Isn't that beautiful? It's incredible. Really, a eclectic group of people. You know, and it wasn't a stereotype then. You know, the peace sign and love, and it, it was, was before all it was of that. The, the real deal. You know, it was so ahead of the curve, the people are still catching up. Yeah. You know, like we were on the shoulders of the beatniks and then the uh, punks are on the shoulders of the hippies and the grunge is on the shoulders of the punks. So it was. I mean, you could say love was a little bit punk. A little. You know? It also makes sense when you say that you were on the shoulders of the beatniks and that both bands had poets. Yeah. That makes sense. Like if we keep in mind that the beatnik era was just sort of what was what had just been going on in yeah, the culture, yeah, yeah. So you know you sense a new wave, and and uh, I think Jim said each generation wants to be different from the one before, and so the punks came along, and dissed us for burning out, and they were right, but the message was there, the love thing, you know. So I, I get pissed off when I. You know, people diss the 60s as failing. Hold it, hold it. Civil rights, peace movement, feminism are all seeds planted in the 60s. They're big seeds. So maybe they take hundreds of years for full fruition. So shut up and get out your watering can. And also the (laughs) soapbox. Clearly, the world is a different place than it was before the 60s. Like, that was the turning point. You can you can say what you want about the '60s not accomplishing all that it meant to do, yet the world was transformed in the '60s. No, there's no question right. we live in a different culture. That was all the seeds of the '60s, right? Like a, a Renaissance time, like the '20s. Yeah, or well, whatever. Th- what I was saying is, you'd think we would have learned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we need another '60s right now. Is what we need. Yeah, to. it may happen. Yeah, I mean, it might, let's steps. face it, music is the only thing that we all agree on yeah. and, and love, so yes. uh, let's use it to, to try to uh, patch this mess up. <laughs> We're going to pause for a quick break, but we'll be back with The Doors' Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with the Apple Pay purchases. And 
1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with Rick Rubin's conversation with Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. What was the first gig that you did where you were in the band? Your first gig the in first the gig doors? was at uh, Hughes Aircraft. <laughs> it was. Uh, I don't was remember. A, it was at a Labor how, how did, Day how did party. That was, uh, Ray's mom worked at, at Hughes Aircraft, or his dad, so they needed a band for some occasion, like a party. you know. So. We got together and uh, let's we we who, I can't remember the bass player, but he only had one string on his bass. <laughs> and then uh, Ray was on acid and totally freaked out. He was on a bummer acid trip. I don't know how he even played. Uh, I don't remember the gig. You don't so, remember? No. You blocked. You blocked. I remember. It out. I remember the big warehouse. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the the gig was was pretty weird. We we yeah. played. Uh, some Mingus, I think. Uh, <laughs> and Jim tried to sing a couple of things. I, he didn't. We didn't really have any songs worked up yet, you know. So Jim and I both took speed. I remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> you drug addict. <laughs> really, the London Fog was the first. No, no, no. Remember the, the party we played at my parents' Well, uh, there was parties. House? No, but still, that counts. Yeah. That, it's, cu- it's curious. Okay. The it first time you played in front at, of people. A party at the Isaacson's house uh, near UCLA, and uh, we actually yeah. Yeah. played a set, and uh, that was pretty good. 
Were you on that gig of that gay houseboat party out of Marina or somewhere? San Pedro, I think. And um, I know on the invitation it said, uh, please remember the band is not part of our group. Members <laughs> don't come on to the band. <laughs> and we're playing, and, uh, and remember we got the nerve to play a ballad. And then everybody started kind of getting close. And, and there was a lot of shuffling down below in the boat. And I remember Ray daring me to go downstairs. <laughs> Early Doors gigs. Yeah. And then we played a gig for Moonfire, remember? What's Moonfire? A gig? Yeah, we played a gig. He had a party at, uh, down right near where you live in the, in the Uplifters. Remember? Well, no, he was up at Topanga. I know but... he was, but he rented this place. Oh. Uh, Right near your house. You're jogging my memory. Uh, Moonfire was this heir to um, something. Yeah, he had a lot of money, and he, he had a huge place up in Topanga, and he let all the hippies stay there and hang out and stuff. And, and he was a militant vegetarian, and when we played Miami, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> he brought a lamb on stage, a little little Cute little lamb. lamb. And he gave it to Jim. Gave it to and Jim. And Jim, Jim said, <laughs> "He said if it weren't so young, I'd fuck it." <laughs> oh, I was going to say, "Don't say that, Robbie," but go. You did okay. I, or did he really say that, or was that just in the movie? It's just a joke. No, no yeah, it was a joke. It's not in the movie. He would so, say that. I think it is in the movie. Actually. Believe me, he would. I don't the think Oliver so. Stone movie. Really? Wasn't it in the movie? I don't think so. I've seen the movie and I don't remember that line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a real quick line. Uh, yeah. If you go check it out again, you'll hear it. <laughs> a lot of eccentric folk around. <laughs> what was the idea of bringing the lamb on stage? Uh, it's for, so cute. Don't eat meat. He, yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, he I was see. a vegetarian. Yeah. I see. Way yeah. before vegetarianism yes, was yes, cool. Yes. Yeah. He was kind of a cool guy. Anyway, we played a party for him, and that was pretty early. That was one of our first gigs. Hmm. I remember having to drag my big Standell amp up there. Yeah, we had a VW bus, and we my slept all the bus. stuff. So we would just get gigs however we could get them. You know? I mean, we used to go to all the clubs and, and beg them to let us play there. I remember, you know, Ray, work. Ray was with Dorothy in, in the beach house, and Jim and I, maybe you tagged along, We'd go to these bars on Hollywood Boulevard that would never have a band anyway. And we'd go in there, can we play? Would you? Could we? <laughs> but we wanted to do something, yeah. even though it seemed fruitless. You know, it was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week campaign. You know how it is to yeah. launch anything creative. Yes. Whether it's a book or a movie or what. It's a Herculean to sell the damn thing. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. We, we it's very even, hard to break through. We didn't even have a manager, uh, I think, until Light My Fire hit. Wow. Amazing. And it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny that, that in today's world, we don't think of a band of the stature of the Doors playing at house parties. It's just fascinating to to imagine that world, because now when young artists start, the mechanisms are in place for finding an audience and then finding gigs. There's like an industry around it now. Yeah. Whereas then it really was 
a clean slate. And I, and I remember seeing old film of you guys playing where the sounds, it seemed like the sound system wouldn't even fill the places you were playing. Oh, yeah. Just uh, you know, we tiny little sound systems. We a guitar amp for a vocal mic, you yeah. know. And, and, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> it's always, always hard to hear the vocals. Poor Jim. You know, he never had monitors. But it's also a testament to what a good singer he was if he could Even sing like whiskey. that without hearing himself. I guess they had him at the whiskey. But yeah, I mean, that, I think that was good for building his oh, yeah, that's, vocal that's cords. Good, you know? yeah. yeah. He'd yeah. have to. Something the Beatles talk about was that they would sing their harmonies going from gig to gig in the van uh. and practice singing, and they were so good at it that they didn't have to hear each other to be able to sing in uh. harmony because they could never hear each other when they were performing. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And now we have in-ear monitors. <laughs> Different world. You know, I I changed my answer to the question. Uh, for years, people would say, well, if Jim was around now, would he be clean and sober? And I go, nah, kamikaze drunk. And now, in the last few years, I've thought about Clapton and Eminem, and, and it's a different time. Yeah, sure. Why hey, not? If he was alive, he'd have to be sober. Yeah. Yeah. You, otherwise, he wouldn't be alive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Good but, uh, point. Shh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like saying that because it's different. Yeah. 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 Well, unfortunately, we don't get to have him around anymore. Would be great. Absolutely. We didn't know him, and we miss him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you see the Stones still playing and stuff. I get really jealous when I see that, <laughs> you know. How quickly did it change from being the house band to things getting big for you guys? It was pretty quick. I mean, it was, you know, when Light My Fire came in, that was that was the whole game changer. Because for, before that, we put out Break On Through as the first uh, right. single, and it, it didn't do very much. We called up a lot. Uh, this is Fred Schwartz. Would you please play that uh, break on? And then they got on to us. They made <laughs> yeah, it to number we had 11. All, all of our friends would be calling. Because that's yeah. how you got on the radio before. You know, you have to have an uh, audience uh, calling in. It's and, interesting uh, how that song is so uh, admired now. Yes. And then it was a struggle to get it out there. Because yes. it was just so different. You know, bossa, yeah, nova, bossa nova. I don't know what. But. <laughs> Starts off with the bossa nova drums. So uh, I mean, nobody's ever done that since no, even. No, I think Forever Changes might have a bossa nova on it. I think it so. Might. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know the Still way he played bossa nova. Very unusual. No rock drummers. Yes. Even today can do that. Yes. Also, I think that the fact that you had a a classically trained pianist in the group really separated you from everyone else that's true it's a very one-of-a-kind sound i think the same holds true for maybe the zombies oh you know i don't I, not that i relate the zombies in the doors but both of you don't sound like anyone else yeah. mainly because of the keyboards I, as such a featured instrument it. because like the, the rolling stones usually had someone playing piano in the group more often than not but it wasn't yeah as much of a focus, yeah, it was more yeah. of a support instrument. Well, like on yeah, yes, they they had that as well. And then the, the Ray's genius of these licks, da 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 da. Whoa, that's etched on all our brains. Yeah, 
And yeah. it sounds like when you just sang that, it sounds like Bach. <laughs> it, right. it, it is. It is. It is. Isn't it I mean, a yeah, I, mean, I, I had the chords, these these kind of weird chords, and he just naturally just came up with the, uh, the, the, with the Bach to go over it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It was pretty pretty amazing, really. And, you know, Riders on the Storm, God, <laughs> you listen to that solo, uh, it's genius, you know. I've had so many keyboard players that play with me to play Ray stuff, and a lot of them know, know it. No, light my fire and writers note for note. Wow! And uh, but it still never quite sounds like Ray. You know, it's the feel. Yeah, but the funny thing is, Ray never played those solos alike, the same every, yeah. every night. It was just an improv. Yeah, that, it was an improvisation. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, when we recorded that stuff, it was one take, and yeah. that's just how it was that night. So in addition to the solos being different, how free were the arrangements? Like, might a song go longer live or...? Depended on the song. The the epics, the end, when the music's over, they had big sections where we'd vamp. And, and they would be different every night, Jim and the length would, would go. fuck around with any poem he wanted to, you know? I see. We'd chase them around yeah, i mean those kind of songs that they would grow every night you know because yes. it started off real short like the end was just a two-minute love song when it started and then uh as time went on it got longer and longer and but you know robbie and i went to uh, Ravi shankar's canara school of indian music and got heavily influenced by that so the end got this droning this was even that back then you did this yeah, amazing. Right. Yeah, so that's where that yeah, raga I had a, I had trance a sitar. influence yeah. came. I in. actually had a sitar, the a traditional sitar, yeah. not an electric yeah. sitar. Yeah, and John had the tabla drums. Wow! And we actually went to this school, the Kanara school Whew. that uh, Ravi Shankar started. Yeah, actually, Ravi came and gave a lecture to us one time. Amazing! And we're in our twenties, and he says you should channel your sexual energy into playing your instrument. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and later I found out that he really didn't uh, oh. keep to that uh, well, yeah. very well himself. Yeah. There was enough left over after putting it in the music we and could still Alaraka, use it. And Alaraka, too. He was uh, quite uh, the ladies. Oh, well, he, he liked the whiskey, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So you're saying he was a human being? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Kind of like Maharishi. Yeah. <laughs> right. He liked there, there's uh, a Mia rumor that Some of your band members met each other at TM. Is that? Yeah, that's true. That's where we met. Tell me the story. Uh, Robbie and I are fooling around with legal psychedelics. And, and, and then Robbie says, there's this Indian sage coming to town. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, meditation might be a little less shattering on the nervous system. And um, this is before the Beatles, a year or two, I don't know, got onto Maharishi. Yeah, because we were doing it pretty much every weekend, and and uh, and we were doing. Yeah, I was turning oh, LSD, yeah. so I was turning all my friends onto it. And so, and this one guy had a bad reaction, man. He, you know. Yeah. Well, did you douse him or? Did... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I gave him a little speed with it or something extra to boost it, but. Uh, Anyway, he had a bad reaction, and I felt horrible, you know. And uh, so I said, shit, there's got to be a better way to do this, you know. So my buddy, who had been to India, met Maharishi and talked him into coming back here. 
And, what was your friend's name? Uh, Peter Wallace. And uh, so his brother and I were buddies, uh, Keith. So the first Maharishi meeting was at his house. And that's where Ray and John, Ray happened to be there, right? And John, uh, John and I knew each other already. But So Ray came up to me and said, I hear you're a drummer, you want to be in a band? And I said, well, I'm a professional. I don't know, I'll come down and jam. <laughs> and uh, then, as I said later, Ray's uh, brothers dropped out and Robbie came in. Was Jim already in the band at that oh, yeah. time? I mean, you know, he stood in the corner with yes. his back to us, yes, so yes, shy yes. he couldn't. It was I like. And when we not, say already in the band, it means you know well, mo months. It was maybe. actually uh, it was Rick and the Ravens was the band. Uh, yeah. It was Ray's brother's band at that point. I see. And Jim you know, used to sing Louie Louie once in a while. Right. And then they started, and then Jim came up with these couple of songs. It's the words. And yeah. uh, he said he wants that to call it. the Doors, and then that's when. John met and I met uh, Ray. So I thought, okay, I mean, he's not the next Mick Jagger, but these words, man, I want to drum to these words. They're yeah. so wild. We'll be right back with more from Robbie Krieger and John Densmore after a quick break. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with the rest of Rick's conversation with the Doors, Robbie Krieger, and John Densmore. Anything more about love? That's what A we little came more here to than, talk than... about. Not the doors, right? Oh, yeah, we got off. Either way, we, we, can, got, we can go wherever you're comfortable going is fine. We got self-centered. Uh, anyway, like I said, I, I, I kind of met Brian earlier on, and I, I, I used to see him play and stuff, and he, he looked kind of like Brian Jones, you know, he had that nice hairdo and stuff. So I decided I wanted my hair to look like that. <laughs> and so I, I, got, I got this hair straightener, you know, because I had I had the real afro hair back then. So me and Billy Wolf, we both had the afro kind of hair, Jewish kink, uh, and uh, <laughs> Jufro. Yeah, lovingly referred to it as so a Jufro. So we got this stuff. I forget what it was called, but it, it really worked on me, man. I, I I looked like fucking Brian, you know. And even Wolf said, "Hey, man, you look like that jerk Brian uh, McLean." <laughs> And uh, so that's right before I, I met the Doors, I, before I tried out for the Doors. Yes. So I, I had the good hair, man. I, I think that's why I got the job. <laughs> and then about a couple months later when it grew back out, and I, I remember Jim going, what happened to your hair? <laughs> but by that time they needed me. <laughs> why did, why did uh, your friend refer to him as a jerk, Brian? Oh, it was just a friendly play, oh. kind of a saying. He was a competitive jerk. guitar player. Yeah, yeah. He, we were jealous of him because he, he was in a big group. You know, it's interesting. Uh, long hair uh, during that time on the both coasts, there were long hairs, uh, but in the middle of the country. Mm, 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 mm. And one time uh, after a New York gig, Ray and I and his girlfriend Dorothy drove across the country because we had no money. And so we got a car we could deliver as long as we paid the gas. And we stopped at a diner in Ohio. And, and Ray and I had long hair and Dorothy's Japanese. We go in and holy shit, there's these guys at the counter with red paint on the back of their necks. Uh, and they're scowling at us, and, and uh, it was scary. I mean, even in L.A. at that time, we were like the only long hairs around, pretty much. I mean, I remember one time me and Jim went to eat at uh, Ships, I think it was. Remember Ships? Yeah. I don't, I don't think you were there. Coffee shop in Westwood. Yeah. And we, we started, you know, sat down, ordered and stuff, and there was some uh, Marines next to us. And they started giving us shit, right? And so we kind of got started giving them shit back. And were you there? Nope. And so finally we started to leave, and they came out and grabbed us. And <laughs> and the one guy was beating Jim with a Whoa. with a payphone, you know. And Jim Jim was just laughing. <laughs> he goes, "Call the cops!" Ha ha ha. He you know he he didn't mind being beat up. You remember? I wasn't there, but uh, 
it's reminding me of these these guys in Ohio were like saying to the waitress, Shirley, you got a scissors? Some of these girls need a haircut. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I remember quite a few times that happened. And it's interesting now, you know, then the punks come along and shave their heads. And, and so now, whatever, anything's cool. I don't know. I like it. There's a liberation. I bet you there's still places you could find in the United <laughs> States where you could go and not feel welcome. Uh, I'd say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big oh, country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a there's, big country. There's still plenty of places. So would you say that spirituality played a role in the doors? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, it wasn't talked as, about. But... As much as Jim tried to squash it. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, uh, I think he he was a searcher. It, it, yeah, no, we were was, meditating. Yeah. He was trying to find out what was inside in his own way. You know, it's all different versions of we could call it self-medicating. In the case of TM, it turns out to be healthier for you than let's say alcohol. Yeah, but right, it's definitely right, it's, dealing with our inner self, trying to find some yeah peace. something more. What what else is there? You know. So, did you guys practice TM? Oh yeah, oh. still do. We did TM. Still do. Great. For, we did TM for like the whole career. Twice a day, we go. We had okay, to. we're going in the vocal booth for twenty minutes. <laughs> do what you guys got to do, and Robbie and I'd go meditate. Yeah, maybe that's what grounded us through that crazy. Uh, yeah, I think know? so. Amazing, yeah. I'd say. Amazing. And we actually took Jim to meet Maharishi one time. Wow, how was that? <laughs> didn't turn out that well. Well, okay. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Jim didn't sign up, but I do remember him saying he wanted to look in his eyes and see if he had any knowledge, and he said he he did, but he's not going to meditate. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. By that time, it was bigger. The Beatles had started doing it. I see. And uh, after the lecture, we brought Jim up to real close to Maharishi and tried to introduce him. I do remember, you know, I was raised Catholic. I'm now a, a renegade, of course, but I remember first time being in Maharishi's presence and feeling a, a love vibe like I did not get this from those priests in the black <laughs> tourniquets. Wow, I want this. Yeah. You know? I never got to meet Maharishi. I, I learned TM when I was 14, and... Like you guys, I, it has. I realized that it had a big impact on my life. Yeah, I noticed mm -hmm. how you're sitting. It, no question. <laughs> no question. I, 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 I include that as part of who I am. You know, I, I don't think I would be the same person without that. I think of Maharishi as uh, kind of jump-starting this whole thing. Indian music, Ravi Shankar, the whole culture, Hindu culture, it all got a big push from him, really. And it's still here. Absolutely. You know, in various forms. And what a gift. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is uh, in the 60s, there was no internet. And wow, the Beatles happened to be experimenting with psychedelics like we were. The Beatles, or musicians over there, all kind of got into meditation like we were. What's going on here? Carl Jung's archetypal undercurrents across the globe to get cosmic, but yeah. something going <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it wasn't people imitating each other. It was just 
it was blossoming in the culture. Well, the Beatles did imitate us. We we were meditating before they were. <laughs> yeah, right. Ha ha. You want to so, get technical about it? <laughs> and you were taking acid before them too. Probably. <laughs> Actually, when I was in college, I I had real Sandoz acid. Yeah, that was the stuff they. Uh, who, who was the guy that was doing those? Um, uh, Leary Al- yeah, uh, Alpert, uh, no, who was later Ram Dass, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, who's Richard the, Alpert. Who's the guy who made it? The, the guy in San oh, Francisco? Owsley. Owsley. <laughs> yeah. So Owsley yeah. comes to one of our gigs and he comes backstage and he says, You guys need a bass player, man. There's a hole in your sound, you know? And he leaves. And I said to Ray, wow, we're making the king of acid nervous. I think we're on the right track here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how did it work out that you decided not to have a bass player? It's interesting. We tried. We had a girl bass player for a minute. We sounded like the Stones, some white blues band or something. I see. Yeah, we tried a few bass players. And and we always had a bass pretty much on the records. Yeah. Well, that was to make up for... There was no Moog synthesizers, so Ray's keyboard. Ray found this keyboard bass, and then we went, ah, that's it. We don't need a bass player. Yeah, but, yes. but recording yeah, it it's mushy. On, it worked on some songs, like like Break On Through has that's Just what, the keyboard yeah, bass. Yeah, yeah. And The End and uh, right. a couple Drone. of other ones. But other ones that needed that plucking from a yes. string. with uh, Various bass players overdubbed Ray's yeah. lines. Yes. Actually, on Backdoor Man and uh, Soul you, Kitchen was me yeah. on, <laughs> overdubbing the bass. <laughs> oh, there was, a, a, again, a rumor that uh, John Sebastian played bass on one of your albums. No, he played harmonica. Played harmonica. On Roadhouse. Harmonica. Roadhouse, on Roadhouse. Really? Okay, so you'll notice that John Sebastian, the harp player credited on Roadhouse is G. Pugliese, which was a synonym for John Sebastian. Well, no, that was his real name. Was it? Was it? His yeah, real name? that's his real name. Really? Giovanni Pugliese is his real name. Really? Yeah. But <laughs> he didn't I, think that would sound good as a rock I and roll name. I thought he... But I th- I had heard that he didn't want to be associated with what, the Doors. No, I wasn't that. It was his record company didn't want his, him to use his well, name. right. But also the Doors, you know, I mean... There's this wonderful flower power thing with the birds and and all the mamas and papas, and we loved it. But yeah. we were the underbelly, yeah. the, the undeclared Vietnam uh, War, the, the shadow an- side, flower power. And people did not like us. Uh, some they did, it made them nervous to be associated with us because yeah. we were dark. I yeah. don't think that was it. I, well, I, good. I, I'm glad we disagree. Now I heard. Just a little earlier from our moderator, that tension create is create <laughs> creativity. <laughs> so fuck you. Well, no, fuck you. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. So I see the TM's been working. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Was it when you got to play at the Hollywood Bowl? Did that feel like a big deal at the time? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Did. The venue. I think we were one of the first. Uh, did the Beatles play there uh, before yeah, us? I before think us. The, only the Beatles had played but there. But of course, you know, they made us have a decibel limit, and that ruined. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was, and and we had that was the first time that we actually brought real cameras and movie cameras and stuff to film the show. So it looks real good, but. Uh, and Jim took acid and didn't tell us. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, why would he tell us? 
and and it was fine, but it, there, there was something. It just wasn't a good show. I remember was... saying to you, coming off stage, Robbie, what, what? And he, you said, he took acid. <laughs> oh, great, just yeah, great. So he got, and sometimes when he's on acid, he was great, but this time he got real introverted, and he kind of just didn't move around much. And... He saw a moth on the astroturf and picked it up and was examining it. <laughs> and then... And then it didn't help that his girlfriend Pam was sitting with Mick Jagger right in the front row. <laughs> right, because Jagger went out to dinner with us before, and we wanted to be really good for him. And damn it, I mean, it, it's good. Yeah, what did he? What did he say? Somebody asked him about. The he day. said it was in Melody Maker. The Doors are nice chaps, but they went on a bit long. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it looks great. looks good. What was the last show you guys did? New Orleans. I was trying to forget about that one. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Was yeah. it a bad one? Yeah. Yeah. The, the night before was Dallas, and we were trying out Riders Live, Riders on the Storm, and we were kind of, wow, maybe we could kind of be a, a jazz rock thing. Maybe we got, it's going to be different. And the next night, Jim was drunk. Too drunk, yeah. Sat on the on the drum riser in the middle, just his head down. Middle of the show, I walk around and sit next to him. Hey man, uh, <laughs> what do you want to play next? Uh, hello. And isn't that what one Ray said? He saw Jim's soul leave his body yeah, or something. Like Ray that. said he saw his spirit <laughs> exit. So uh, that was the last show we attempted. Yeah. I was lobbying for a year to get off the road. Because in the studio, if he's too messed up, we go home. But in front of 10,000 people. And we were really good live in the beginning, just pin drop time. Do Do you think success played a role in his destruction? Self destruction? Some. Probably. It's not just that. Yeah, I think it would have happened anyway. You do? Yeah. Here's a line someone said to me, blew my mind. Maybe. If Jim hadn't met you guys, he would have died sooner. Interesting. Whoa! Interesting. Food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least he had something to do. He channeled. Yeah, I mean, he, he lived to be on stage. Yeah. He he enjoyed performing. Oh yeah. That's I mean, interesting. I wouldn't sure. have, I wouldn't have known that if you didn't say it. Really? Say, no. Oh, we, are you kidding? Wouldn't have known that. That's uh, well because he seemed so scary and serious and dark and weird. But he knew he. You know, when you're performing, you can feel. If the audience is Madison Square Garden or or a club, that's one person. And the performer is a duet or an orchestra. That's the other person. And the two of you are going to dance tonight. And the mystery and excitement is, what is it going to be? A waltz? A salsa? A riot? You know, and that's what's so kinetic about it. Energetically, you feel that interaction. Yeah. And maybe that's why... Bands like your band, bands like Love, bands like The Grateful Dead, for that matter. There, today, there there seems to be more and more artists who just are putting on a show, and people are watching this right, thing. Right. But there's very little interaction. Uh, you know, like the show is the same every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you guys would change according to what the you vibe. were feeling. The some song like some songs would have long parts that got longer if it felt good that mm-hmm. night uh wasn't so scripted yeah but the imp- you guys also were influenced by jazz 
and it wouldn't be unusual to have a a long song right. in jazz. So right. bringing that bringing that jazz sensibility into popular music, super cool. And Ravi Shankar. I mean, yeah, we we sat next to the man, and ragas are fifteen minutes. Yes, and Ravi Ravi was like, you know. You in America want to climax too soon. You know, take your time with the foreplay, metaphorically. Yes. And we were steeped in that. Yes. When I first met Ray, he played me Ravi Shankar's uh, theme from Panther Panchali, and it had jazz guys on it, jazz and raga. It's like, wow, let's soak up this. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. What a pleasure. Thank yeah, you guys man. for coming Good. and talking about this okay. stuff. Yeah. Fun. Thanks to Robbie Krieger and John Densmore for sharing so many incredible stories about Jim Morrison and The Doors. You can hear all of our favorite Doors songs on my playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Tolliday, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez, with engineering help from Nick Chafee. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you like this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. 
apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.